The dreaded message had come. The lank messenger, who had brought it from over Black Mountain, dropped into a chair by the stove and sank his teeth into a great hunk of yellow cheese. Flitterbill Richmond waddled from behind his counter and out on the little platform in front of his crossroads store. Out there was a group of earth-stained countrymen, lounging against the rickety fence or swinging on it, their heels clear of the ground, all whittling, chewing, and talking the matter over. All looked up at Bill, and he looked down at them, running his eye keenly from one to another, until he came to one powerful young fellow loosely bent over a wagon tongue. Even on him, Bill's eyes stayed but a moment, and then were lifted higher in anxious thought. The message had come at last, and the man who brought it had heard it fall from Black Tom's own lips. The wild Jay Hawkers of Kaintuck were coming over into Virginia to get Flitter Bill's store, for they were mountain unionists and Bill was a valley rebel and lawful prey. It was past belief. So long had he prospered, and so well, that Bill had come to feel that he sat safe in the hollow of God's hand. But he now must have protection, and at once from the hand of man. Roaring Fork sang lustily through the rhododendrons. To the north yawned the gap through the Cumberland Mountains. Callahan's nose, a huge gray rock, showed plain in the clear air, high above the young foliage, and under it, and on up the rocky chasm, flashed Flitterbill's keen mind, reaching out for help. Now, from Virginia to Alabama the southern mountaineer was a Yankee, because the national spirit of 1776, getting fresh impetus in 1812 and new life from the Mexican War, had never died out in the hills. Most likely it would never have died out, anyway, for, the world over, any seed of character, individual or national, that is once dropped between lofty summits brings forth its kind, with deathless tenacity, year after year. Only, in the Kentucky mountains, there were more slaveholders than elsewhere in the mountains in the south. These, naturally, fought for their slaves, and the division thus made the war personal and terrible between the slaveholders who dared to stay at home, and the Union, home guards who organized to drive them away. In Bill's little Virginia Valley, of course, most of the sturdy farmers had shouldered Confederate muskets and gone to the war. Those who had stayed at home were, like Bill, Confederate in sympathy, but they lived in safety down the valley, while Bill traded and fattened just opposite the gap, through which a wild road ran over into the wild Kentucky hills. Therein Bill's danger lay, for, just at this time, the Harlan home guard under Black Tom, having cleared those hills, were making ready, like the picked and scot of olden days, to descend on the Virginia Valley and smite the lowland rebels at the mouth of the gap. Of the stay-at-homes and the deserters roundabout, there were many, very many, who would stand in with any man who would keep their bellies full, but they were well-nigh worthless even with a leader, and, without a leader, of no good at all. Flitterbill must find a leader for them, and anywhere than in his own fat self, for a leader of men Bill was not born to be, nor could he see a leader among the men before him. And so, standing there one early morning in the spring of 1865, with uplifted gaze, it was no surprise to him the coincidence, indeed, became at once one of the articles of perfect faith in his own star that he should see afar off, 
a black slouch hat, and a jogging gray horse rise above a little knoll that was in line with the mouth of the gap. At once he crossed his hands over his chubby stomach with a pious sigh, and at once a plan of action began to whirl in his little round head. Before man and beast were in full view the work was done, the hands were unclasped, and Flitterbill, with a chuckle, had slowly risen, and was waddling back to his desk in the store. It was a pompous old buck who was bearing down on the old gray horse, and under the slouch hat with its flapping brim one Mayhall Wells, by name. There were but few strands of gray in his thick blue-black hair, though his years were rounding half a century, and he sat the old nag with erect dignity and perfect ease. His bearded mouth showed vanity immeasurable, and suggested a strength of will that his eyes the real seat of power denied, for, while shrewd and keen, they were unsteady. In reality, he was a great coward, though strong as an ox, and whipping with ease every man who could force him into a fight. So that, in the whole man, a sensitive observer would have felt a peculiar pathos, as though nature had given him a desire to be, and no power to become, and had then sent him on his zigzag way, never to dream wherein his trouble lay. Mornin', gentle underscore men underscore. Mornin', Mayhall. All nodded and spoke except hence Sturgill on the wagon tongue, who stopped whittling, and merely looked at the big man with narrowing eyes. Tallow Dick, a yellow slave, appeared at the corner of the store, and the old buck beckoned him to come and hitch his horse. Flitterbill had reappeared on the stoop with a piece of white paper in his hand. The lank messenger sagged in the doorway behind him, ready to start for home. Mornin', Captain, Wells, said Bill, with great respect. Every man heard the title, stopped his tongue in his knife blade, and raised his eyes, a few smiled hence Sturgill grinned. Mayhall stared, and Bill's left eye closed and opened with lightning quickness in a most portentous wink. Mayhall straightened his shoulders seeing the game, as did the crowd at once, Flitter Bill was impressing that messenger in case he had some dangerous card up his sleeve. Captain, Wells, Bill repeated significantly, I'm sorry to say yo new uniform has not arrived yet. I am expecting it tomorrow. Mayhall towed the line with soldierly promptness. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, Sue sorry to hear it, Sue, he said, with slow, measured speech. My men are comin' in fast, and you can hardly realize er er what it means to an old soldier er er not to have er, and Mayhall's answering wink was portentous. My friend here is from over in Kentucky, and the Harlan home jarred over there, he says, is a making some threats. Mayhall laughed. So I have heard, so I have heard. He turned to the messenger. We shall be ready fair M, Sue, ready fair M with a thousand men, one thousand men, Sue, right high in the gap, right high in the gap. Let M come on, let M come on. Mayhall began to rub his hands together, as though the conflict were close at hand, and the mountaineer slapped one thigh heartily. Good for you. Give him hell. He was about to slap Mayhall on the shoulder and call him pardoner, when Flitterbill coughed and Mayhall lifted his chin. Captain Wells, said Bill. Captain Wells, repeated Mayhall with a stiff salutation, and the messenger from over Black Mountain fell back with an apologetic laugh.
A few minutes later both Mayhall and Flitterbill saw him shaking his head as he started homeward toward the gap. Bill laughed silently, but Mayhall had grown grave. The fun was over and he beckoned Bill inside the store. Mr. Richmond, he said, with hesitancy and an entire change of tone and manner, I am afeard I ain't going to be able to pay you that little amount I owe you, but if you can give me a little emo time. Captain Wells interrupted Bill slowly, and again Mayhall stared hard at him, as betwixt friends, as have been personal friends fair nigh on to twenty year, I hope you won't mention that little matter to me Aegean until I mentions it to you. But, Mr. Richmond, hence Sturgill out there says is how he heard you say that if I didn't pay. Captain, Wells, interrupted Bill again, and again Mayhall stared hard it was strange that Bill could have formed the habit of calling him Captain in so short a time yesterday is not today, is it? And today's not tomorrow? I ax you have I said one word about that little matter, today? Well, borrow not from yesterday nor tomorrow, to make trouble fair today. There is other things fair today, Captain Wells. Mayhall turned here. Mr. Richmond, he said, with great earnestness, you may not know it, but three times since that long-legged Jay Hawker's been gone you HEV plainly, and if my ears do not deceive me, and they never HEV you have plainly called me, Captain, Wells. I knowed your little trick whilst he was high, fair I knowed what the feller had come to tell ye, but since he's been gone, three times, Mr. Richmond. Yes, drawled Bill, with an unction that was strangely sweet to Mayhall's wondering ears, and I do it Aegean, Captain, Wells. And may I ax you, said Mayhall, ruffling a little, may I ax you why you? Certainly, said Bill, and he handed over the paper that he held in his hand. Mayhall took the paper, and looked it up and down helplessly flitter Bill slyly watching him. Mayhall handed it back. If you please, Mr. Richmond I left my specs at home. Without a smile, Bill began. It was an order from the Commandant at Cumberland Gap, sixty miles farther down Powell's Valley, authorizing Mayhall Wells to form a company to guard the Gap and to protect the property of Confederate citizens in the Valley, and a commission of captaincy in the said company for the said Mayhall Wells. Mayhall's mouth widened to the full stretch of his lean jaws, and, when Bill was through reading, he silently reached for the paper, and looked it up and down and over and over, muttering, well well well. And then he pointed silently to the name that was at the bottom of the paper.